Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. It is a privilege and a joy to welcome you to worship, whether you are here in the sanctuary of the church or worshiping online with us. As we gather, we always take a moment to think about the privilege that it is for us to be with each other in this place. And remembering that privilege then, we come before the Lord with great joy and thanksgiving in our hearts. I also am filled with joy today because we are welcoming the Reverend Dr. Nate Landis to our pulpit. Many of you will remember that Nate has spoken with us many times before. He is the founder and uh, president of Urban Youth Collaborative, a ministry that reaches into over a hundred schools now in this region. And in addition to all of the accolades and uh, things that Nate has in his resume, he's just a good guy and I enjoy his preaching. So I've promised Nate I'm not going to fall asleep today. Does that sound good, Nate? Welcome. Good to have you with us. Friends, let us be called together in worship as we read responsively from the 19th Psalm. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. And Christ lived for us. Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. All who are in Christ have become new persons altogether. The past is finished and gone. Everything has become fresh and new. Believe the gospel that in Jesus Christ 
we are forgiven. Amen. May the peace of Christ be with you. Now let me ask you to be very creative in staying exactly where you are, but sharing Christ's peace with each other. Good job. Take that peace with you wherever you go into the world today. Friends, we're going to take just a moment to hear a bit about what's going on in the life of the church before we continue on with our worship. I'll remind you that this evening, weather permitting, starting at 5 o'clock, we'll have the concert on the green on the lawn down by the inn. We'll enjoy the music of Dante Fire, who plays the bass in our worship band, uh, along with his worship band. We encourage you to park in the Bank of America parking lot if you come, as new regulations regulations in uh, the village ask that we not park on the streets for events such as that. But we look forward to seeing everybody at five this evening. We are at the end of our backpack drive, and I brought one with me. I'm not going to keep this, even though I think it goes with my outfit really well, don't you think? This is the official end of the drive, but I'm going to give you a 24-hour grace period. If you'd still like to participate by bringing backpacks or all of the supplies that go into them or a backpack full of cash, we also will accept. We want to finish off this thing by tomorrow or Tuesday, and if you have participated, fantastic. If you have yet to do that, we'd encourage you to do that today. We will be announcing soon all of the new programs that will be starting up in our fall lineup, so be watching your email and watching the church website. But in the meantime, simply keep following Jesus. We love you.
We have many blessings and much to be grateful for. In the power of the Spirit and in union of Christ, let us come before the Father with our prayers, and then we will join together in the Lord's Prayer after I have prayed. Join me, please. Heavenly Father, we pray for the Church Universal, the body of Christ all so different yet brought together through your Son. We ask for strength and protection, especially for those who face persecution because of their faith in you. We ask that you give your church vision and unity, providing all that is needed so that many more can turn away from the darkness, hear the good news, and come to know you. Help us, Lord, to seek you in all that we do, using the gifts that you have so generously given so that we may serve this community, shining your light and goodness into the lives of people around us. Bless and be with your servant, Nate, today as he brings your message. Give us ears to hear the prophetic voice of love and redemption through this man of God whom you have called to be your voice to the often neglected and at risk. Bless his life that so clearly demonstrates the message of Jesus in the schools and the communities of so many people. Lord, we ask that we may also serve all people, that we may show your love and that they may see in our works your good grace. Father of justice, we pray for all nations and those that lead them. This morning, we especially pray for Afghanistan and the people. O oh Lord, O oh Lord, come, protect, be with them. Guide the other nations that we might help with peace and reconciliation. Help those who are in power to reach out and help. Help make good decisions in those in leadership. And help us, Lord, to be one of comfort and compassion, one of mercy, and be moved into action wherever we are. Father of creation, we pray for those places that have been devastated and are experiencing suffering through earthquakes, fires, floods, and drought. You are sovereign. You are sovereign. We call upon you. Intercede, Lord God. God of love, we bring all these things to you, knowing that you care for every piece of us, for those who are sick, for those who are recovering, for those who grieve. We thank you. Help us to live faithfully in the reality of a world waiting for renewal, and let us put our whole trust in your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray, with the prayer that he taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Well, good morning, church. It's an honor to be with you today. I'd like to invite you, if you're able, to stand for the reading of God's Word. And if you're listening and watching online, it's your choice if you'd like to stand with us. We're going to be looking at Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17, and I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. This is printed in your bulletin if you want to follow along with me. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in the heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, For the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall do no work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Or make your, sorry, or male or female slave, or ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. 
As someone that works with middle school and high school kids, I often see young people pushing the boundaries of limits and testing rules and trying on identities. And they're often sort of really discerning whether they think a law or a rule is valid or not. And if you're a parent or an employer, you've probably run into some of that testing that goes from the heart of a young person when, it looks, when they look at a law. We're going to look this morning at the top 10 laws that God's given us for life and good relationships. That's going to be our standard that we evaluate them from. If we follow these as a society and as individuals, will it lead us on a pathway to life and good relationships? God's laws are not meant to confine us or restrict us. They actually lead to freedom. God gave these laws to the children of Israel after coming out of bondage to keep them free. It's basically saying, let's not go off the freeway of freedom by obeying the guardrails that God's put up. I grew up in a conservative Christian home, and I'm thankful that I got to come to Jesus early in life. And my parents put me in a conservative Christian school for middle school and high school. And I learned a lot about God and had a foundation of faith, which has benefited me to this day. But there were some rules at our school that some of us thought were a little bit stupid, just to be really professional and pastoral. It didn't make sense. This one in particular had to do with the t-shirt policy at my school. It was in the 90s, and lots of kids were coming to the class, and they had photos of artists and different musicians, and they would wear these bands and artists on their t-shirts because that was their favorite group. And the teachers didn't have the cultural capacity or the, the wherewithal to sort of discern which bands were appropriate and which ones weren't, which matched a message of faith and kingdom values and which ones didn't. And then there was probably some debate as to which artists would be appropriate and not. So our school played it easy and safe, and they banned all photos on all t-shirts every day. Enter my friend from inner city Philadelphia who came as an exchange student to this town. God has a sense of humor that I do urban ministry now because I grew up in a rural part of Lancaster County and drove past Amish buggies on the way to class. And my buddy who was from inner city Philadelphia came to the school and he was checking it out and, and just trying to fit in. And this one day, I don't know if you've had this happen to you, but he picked up all of his t-shirts and all his laundry, nothing was clean. Teenagers go through this from time to time. And, and he, he kind of smells everything and he has one t-shirt left that's clean. And it happens to have a picture on it. It was a black t-shirt. And the picture was of a man with a beard and a robe with his hands outstretched, looking spiritual at everyone who passed him by in the hallways. You might be able to guess who was on the t-shirt. It was Jesus. And they asked him to turn it inside out because it was a photo and it violated the no picture ban. So this was before the days of deodorant sticks and, and that were gel-based. And so he had white deodorant cake marks on this t-shirt all day because they made him turn it inside out and walk humiliated through the school all day long because he had a, the audacity to wear a picture of the founder of our movement to a Christian school. <laughs> we all looked at that and said, that was a pretty dumb law. But as we look at these top 10 laws that God's given us, the first four are between us and him. The next six are between us and each other. I want us to ask, if we followed them, are they banning stuff that should be banned? Are they making prohibitions that are leading to life and good relationships? Are they in our best interest if we follow them? So I'm going to briefly make a case for each of these, and then I'm going to ask us to respond in our hearts and look at our lives through the lens of these laws. Because once we're done testing the law, the law starts to test us. And we start to realize that we can see ourselves more clearly through the lens of God's word. So this is what God says. He says that you shall have no other gods, lowercase g, other than or beside me. He's imploring us not to settle for less. He doesn't want us to pray to a deity that can't answer us. He doesn't want us to give our lives to something that's not reflective of the image of God that we've been created in. He's imploring us not to follow any other gods. We are worshipers at heart. 
And if you don't believe me, go to any professional sports game or concert or watch teenagers as they're taking photos of themselves and posting in and trying to see what their friends think. We are conscious of what we reflect all the time. And God is saying, reflect me, because that's who you are made for. Your glory or his glory looks best on us. Nobody else's glory looks good on us. So he says, have no other gods other than me. The next one goes along with that. You shall make no idols, a carved image in the heavens above, on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. Nothing that we make is worthy of our worship because why? We've made it. God's saying don't worship down the food chain. If someone else has created it, if it's an image that another person has put forth, it's not going to be becoming of God Almighty. Don't worship down to what you've created. Worship up to the one who's created you. He doesn't want us praying prayers that don't go answered. He doesn't want us praying prayers that go unanswered. He doesn't want us talking to an idol that can't do for us what he alone can do for us. When the Bible says he's a jealous God, it's not because he's petty and insecure. He's jealous for my best interest and yours, and he doesn't want us to pick any lover that's going to disappoint our souls. He wants us to trust in him, and that's why he's pleading with us not to settle for anything less than the living God, capital G. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. God won't hold us guiltless if we do that. I'm a chaplain for several high school football teams, and I love being on the field on Friday night. We do pregame meals and motivational pep talks. Often the coach lets us do Bible studies with the team. It's really exciting. But every Friday night, it's fascinating to me, on fourth and one, when everyone's watching and the pressure's on, and they go for the first down and they don't get it, When you listen to the mouths of all the coaches and teachers, it's often Jesus Christ's fault that we didn't make the first down. I thought it was because we didn't block in our A gaps or our B gaps, but, but instead it's Jesus Christ's fault. And we're not praying a prayer. People might say to me, Nate, you're so close-minded. You believe there's one way to be saved. There's one sacrifice for sin. There's one Savior, Jesus the God-man. And I'll say, yes, that's true. And they'll say, that's so close-minded. And I'll say, well, if that's true, that you think it's close-minded, that there's only one way to be saved, then I want to tell you that there's only one way to curse. Think about that for a second. They always pick my Lord and Savior's name when it's time to curse. So if you believe there's many ways to be saved, we all need to diversify our profanity to match our pluralistic theology, if that's the case. God is saying Jesus' name is holy, and we're supposed to honor that and revere that, and we're actually confessing that we know Jesus is in charge when we curse, but we're actually just saying we're not down with being under that authority. So God's saying, honor the name of Jesus because it's the name above all names. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Resting is an act of faith and trusting God. A lot of Christians at this point believe in nine commandments and one suggestion, right? Because we're sophisticated, we have Red Bull, we have busy schedules, we have espresso, we have all these things that we have to do and surely God couldn't expect us to take a day off and rest. That's so antiquated. I learned this the hard way. This is a bonus story for sermon number two. I have to raise over a million dollars a year to do the ministry that we do in public schools with a staff of 30 and food and kids and multiple cities. And a church invited me to preach on a Saturday night and share a brief sermonette about our ministry. And I knew this church had the capacity to give perhaps more than what they were at their current level. So despite it being my family Sabbath day, I said yes. Saturdays are my day with my family to rest. And we have occasional breaks in that, but we know where we're supposed to be. So that day I was not really present as I was present. I was thinking about what I was going to say. I drove over there that night and I shared. And the pastor that night also preached a message. And his message was on observing the Sabbath. (laughs) Okay, thanks God. That was pretty direct. And they didn't increase their missions giving that year. He said, he was a friend of mine, he said, you're going to be here twice on Sunday morning too. Send us a paragraph update about what you're doing and send us a video and come on Sunday. So the next year, 
I did that. I wrote up a paragraph summary. I sent it to the pastor. They played our video on Saturday. I came twice on Sunday, and they doubled their investment in our outreach ministry in public schools. By doing less and trusting God, he honored me because I honored this commandment. It took me a while to figure it out, but now Saturdays are off. I know God's going to bless us. Whatever it is that we think we have to do, that we fit in, because there's an emergency. there are emergencies where you help a donkey out of a ditch. But there's a principle of honoring God's word. And if he's going to honor us, we have to first honor him. Honor your father and mother. This is the one that comes with a promise. It will go well with you in the land that the Lord is giving you. Now, some kids say to me, but Pastor Nate, you don't know my mom. You don't know my dad. I'll honor someone else's mom, but man, this is hard growing up in my house. This commandment is actually made knowing that we're all sinners in need of a savior. And this is a commandment that says in the heart of hearts, parents are doing the best they can. And unless they're being abusive, they love you and they care for you. And we need to trust and honor them and know that they are loving us and set up in our lives for our good. The next one doesn't get very much debate. Do not murder. I don't have too many respondents saying, I need more homicides in my neighborhood. That's what's missing. That's a pretty straightforward one. Do not commit adultery. That's also one that seems fairly set in stone. People can see the heartbreak that happens when somebody's soul's been connected together and then ripped apart. And that pain gets passed on to children and passed on to generations. And God's saying, I want to spare you that pain of loving and losing. Don't commit adultery. Do not steal. That means somebody's reputation, somebody's ideas, maybe somebody's intellectual property or money, somebody's property physically. We all know that God wants us to have stewardship over what we have. And if we're not trusting him, we might try to steal from someone else. But God's a good father. He's going to give us what we need. We don't have to obtain it through illegitimate means. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It might take years and years, maybe decades to build trust. But one lie in a business relationship or in a marriage or in a job situation could erode trust that's been built for months and years beforehand. Don't bear false witness to keep the lane of truth open in a relationship. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, anything that's your neighbor's. That means your neighbor's assets, reputation, your neighbor's ride, or if Jesus was speaking today, I think he would say your neighbor's car, your neighbor's house. Back then they rode oxen, and it was easy to covet a really nice yoke of oxen. But they asked John D. Rockefeller, the oil tycoon and billionaire, back when billionaires were more rare than they are today, they said, how much is enough, John? You know what his answer was? He said, a little more. He said, because it's never enough to satisfy me. You can drive Escalades and 401Ks through your heart, but only Jesus can solve and satisfy that. We can always find someone who's smarter. There's always somebody funnier. There's always somebody more popular, richer, better positioned, better respected, more thought after in a field. And if we're going to covet someone else, we're never done being unsatisfied. And Jesus, I believe, is saying through the prophet Moses here, come to me and find the satisfaction of your soul. Do not covet. I am enough. So those are our top 10. And if you would vote, I'm not going to make you raise your hand in public, but if you would vote in your heart, how many of you would say, I think if our society and if all of us follow these 10 rules, it would lead to life and good relationships. I'm getting some nods, some amens, masks going up and down. That's good. Yes, we're, we're in agreement that these are good. Now, this is the hard part. We've tested the law. Now the law flips back on us and tests us. And I'm going to lead. You don't have to raise your hand. I'm not expecting you to in your heart of hearts. But I can raise my hand and say, not as someone leading a discussion, but as someone who's being looked at the way the law is looking at me and the way Jesus puts it, I need a savior when I read this list. I can't make it through any of these without saying I've fallen short. And there might be two that we think we're off the hook on, adultery and murder. 
Most kids are like, I haven't even gotten married yet. I can't do anything yet because I'm not married. I didn't break a covenant because I didn't make a covenant. But then I tell them, Jesus makes it even harder. He has this annoying way of showing us our need for him. He said that you've heard it said, he's putting himself on par with God who gave the law. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you that if you look at a member of the opposite sex lustfully and you desire it in your heart, it's like you've committed it in real life. I remember reading that as a 16-year-old male, and I just said, oh, Jesus, I need a savior. That's a hard verse to get around. And then Jesus says that if you have been angry at your brother or sister in humanity, and you could cause them pain for just a minute and enjoy it and get back at them, you're guilty of murder. Some kids are saying, man, Pastor Nate, I only murder on PlayStation when I'm, you know, killing somebody, then I hit reset, and it's a video game, so they come back to life. But then they realize, man, if I've been angry at someone else and really fantasized about their harm and enjoyed it, I'm guilty of murder in God's eyes. So on Judgment Day, we all are going to go toe-to-toe and eyeball-to-eyeball with Jesus, and we're going to have to give an account for our lives, and he's going to use the law. And we have a choice. We can present our track record, or we can present the track record of Jesus. That's what I want to stand on. The good news is there's one person on earth, 7.9 billion people on planet earth right now, all would be in the boat that you and I are in, that we cannot make this list work on our own. But there was one person who was born perfect and stayed perfect for 33 years. No sins of omission or commission, no sins of word or deed. Jesus, when he stretched out his arms on the cross and said, it is finished, he didn't just mean he was done dying. He meant he was done living the only perfect life in human history. That's what we get credit for when we trade our track record for Jesus's track record. And all God sees is Jesus's performance when he sees me. That gives me lots of hope. This goes from being very bad news to refreshing good news, life-altering good news. It's a big sigh of relief. Romans 8, 1 through 4 reads this way, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law may be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Anyone else want to take a sigh of relief? That's good news. That's very good news. I need the bad news for the good news to really make me relieved. And Jesus is saying he wants to give that to us today. Good Friday was a very good day for us. It was a very bad day for Jesus. One of my professors asked his students all the time, who was the most sinful human in history? And people mention Genghis Khan or Mussolini during his reign of terror or Adolf Hitler. But he says, no, on Good Friday, Jesus had been perfect all the way up until Good Friday. But on Good Friday that night, Jesus temporarily became the most sinful man in human history because he took all of our infirmities onto himself and died and raised from the dead so that he can give all of his perfection to you and to me. I love sharing this with young people who haven't logged a lot of pew time in their life and they hear it for the first time and it's stunning for them. I'll never forget being in the bungalow right beside Morse High School sharing my heart with a young man and he's now playing football for the University of uh, at UCLA, uh, University of Southern California. He's, he's a really amazing young man and he looked at me, and he said, you mean God can forgive me for everything that I've ever done in my life? It was, it, was, it was like I was handing him a million dollar check. He starts crying. He said, it's not just forgotten, but it's, it's like it's never happened. And he says, I want to make sure all my friends get to experience this same joy that I have. I don't want them to stand in front of Jesus when they're not ready. I want them ready to receive the good news of Jesus. 
That's why I love hanging around young people because I grew up in church and I preach a lot and I've heard the gospel too much sometimes. I'm grateful for the gospel, but it doesn't shock me and dazzle me and make me so grateful and overwhelmed with, with awe and wonder like it does when somebody hears it for the first time. So I hope today we hear it for the first time again. I've had people listen to this sermon that have been in church for a very long time and they say, now I understand the beauty and simplicity of the gospel. I want to give us just 30 seconds as I land the plane just to let the gospel stun you all over again. The good news that the bad news doesn't apply to us if we're in Christ. And if you've never accepted that offer from Jesus, I want to invite you to trade track records with him right now in this moment. And if you're a believer, I want you to just say thank you, Jesus, for opening the way for me to have eternal life. I'm going to give us just a minute to let that settle and let the Lord do a little work in our hearts, and then I'll pray for us, and we'll continue our worship service. God, we're so grateful that you sent Jesus. You didn't change the law or lower expectations, but you sent someone who could do what we are incapable of doing. That's fulfilling the law with our own strength. Thank you for Jesus who gives us freedom, who gives us forgiveness, and who fills us with the Holy Spirit so that gradually we become more and more like him throughout our days. Thank you that we're right with him right now, right with God right now because of the gospel. And we thank you that we're becoming more and more like Jesus through sanctification each day as we walk with him. May this stunning gospel go with us and be on our lips and in our lives as we leave this place and rub shoulders with others who desperately need to hear the good news. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Having heard the word proclaimed and sung both by voice and by music, let us join together and affirm our faith by saying together the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, 
who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
I'd like to invite you to stand if you're able to receive the Lord's benediction. Today we've celebrated the freedom that Jesus brings to us to walk in the Spirit and not under the law. And may that freedom fill us with joy and motivate us to share with others who may be in need of the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. May you go in peace.